The sun has left and forgotten me. It's dark, I cannot Your stories see. don't define you, but how you tell them will. Hi, I'm your host, Sarah Elkins, and I call myself the Chief Storymaker at Elkins Consulting because I love to make stories to be able to share them. Just a quick reminder for our listeners who are interviewing for jobs. Our new course, Get Hired Job Interview Storytelling, is available for $199, and that includes a group storytelling practice session. So visit elkinsconsulting.com for more information. You've probably been listening to a few of the episodes over the past few months, and you know that on this podcast, I focus deeply on authenticity, identity, and how we find relevance and all through the stories that people share with me. I met today's guest, Housen Lay, at the Servant Leadership Conference in Fort Worth in Texas in January. And I had the opportunity to hear him speak earlier in the day prior to my keynote session that afternoon. His presentation was about the future of our US and global communities in the context of the polarization we're experiencing now. I anticipated feeling angry, sad, frustrated, all of those things, because of the topic, but I actually left the session feeling hopeful. And that means a lot to me. And that's why I absolutely had to invite him to be on the show. So Housen, thank you so much for agreeing to have this conversation with me on this podcast. Yeah, no, thank you, Sarah. You melted in my heart already. Just just hearing that the, in the impact of, of my presentation. So yeah, I'm super happy to talk to you again. Well, I still think a lot about some of what you said in terms of how to have the conversations that we need to have in order to uh, ad- address the polarization and some of the ideas that you had. And that's I, first things first. I, I want to make sure I ask you the question that I love to ask my podcast guests. I'd love for you to share something about yourself that other people might not know about you, our listeners. And it's something that wouldn't be on your LinkedIn profile or on your bio or resume. Do you have something you can share with us? Uh, yeah, I, I think one of the things that I've cr- creates the most joy for me are um, our Oreos. I think we might have brought it up earlier, but yeah, like I love using Oreos as almost uh, a boundary for creative cooking. And so it's, it's evolved from rice to spam and Oreo masubis to uh, fusing spam and Oreos into uh, Taiwanese uh, desserts with sticky rice. So I, I really use that as a way to um, kind of like invite people into uncertainty <laughs> when they try my food and it creates a really strong bond i've noticed because they're willing to try that with me and they trust me on the, to go on that journey so yeah that is so cool i love that and that is something i know about you but our listeners will be surprised to hear it oreo cookies you actually had that conversation with me in fort worth about your oreo and spam and we were talking about making it like a um, having an orange sauce on it or something like that. Oreo and duck. Yes. I remember that conversation. I have to ask what gave you that idea? What was it? And, and what was the first time you did it and why? Uh, the first time I did it, I saw a, a post on an Instagram account dedicated to uh, creating like really disgusting food combinations it'll be like like 
beans, not beans, and it's all edible. So it'd be tough to think of anything. Maybe like a lot of food, maybe like escargot and jam or something like that. And then it'll <laughs> it'll have that in their post. And and one day I came across Oreos and rice. And I was just shook because I thought that would actually be delicious. And so uh, when it came time for a, a gathering to bring you something to eat, I thought it was the perfect opportunity. I think the gathering was dedicated to uh, like interesting food combinations. And so I brought that and no one liked it. And that just brought me a lot of joy to keep on going. I was like, okay, well, maybe I will find something that the people do like. So yeah, <laughs> and, and have you? Sense. Yeah, yeah. I think with the the third or fourth iteration of the spam masubi, people like started finishing it, and they started um, asking for more. And then um, yeah, the dessert. I, I've I've fed people who are uh, very uh, candid, <laughs> and uh, some would say fickle, and they actually said it wasn't bad. They were like, hmm, I thought I was going to spit this out. So yeah, I, I call that a win i call it a win so what was the best bad response to it it was my family members that just really loved me and they were like mm, interesting like they just like it just like they had to say with their teeth gritted and they were in the room full of family like, mm, yeah oh and then they're like oh jesus <laughs> i think they literally said oh jesus like out of shock when they tried it <laughs> Um, yeah, so <laughs> That's I awesome. that. mm -hmm. and nobody liked it and you did it anyway. Uh, that to me just speaks volumes about who you are, because I can't imagine making something and having people go, oh my gosh, that is disgusting. And wanting to keep trying, like I would just, <laughs> I'd scrap it and do something completely different. So I love that you were so persistent in finding some way to make this work. And that that persistence is what shows up in everything you do that, that I know about you now. And that's really cool. So um, you went into school. Did you intend to have the degree that you ended up with? Uh, for my undergrad, not so much. Uh, it was really like, I think I didn't even really know what college was. Like when I was applying for colleges, I just looked up college, <laughs> business college. Uh, I knew my mom wanted me to be a nurse practitioner. And then I said, no, I'll do accounting because that was a stable, safe job. And then I realized after my first accounting class, <laughs> I was like, nope, this is not for me. Because uh, it was tough at, at Cal State Fullerton where I went. There was like six, it was like a 40% pass rate. It was meant to filter out all of the students. And uh, yeah, it just wasn't interesting to me. So, yeah, then I went into, uh, I, I found leadership development as an extracurricular activity, and it became kind of my goal to create a positive impact on as many people as possible with my career. And still within the bounds of business, I, I landed on data analytics in order to kind of create the insights for companies that do want to serve and create a better world for everyone. And uh, yeah, so that's how I landed on that. Ah, so that was your degree was business, but business analytics was your focal point? Yes. Okay. And then you went on for a master's. What, tell me what drove you to, to go to that point, to take that next step? I had 
learned about uh, so my master's at, at the University of Houston uh, in foresight and they uh, I learned about it in my third year of college uh, through a training with a, uh, with a guy named Richard Ramsey who was the head of HR at the Walt Disney Company and he had trained over 600 futurists globally on how to like he started the whole program because Netflix had taken his his boss by a storm and they wanted to prevent that from ever happening again so they found strategic foresight and uh, through a series of one-on-one trainings I like knew I had found my it felt like my calling at least for another 10-15 years um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I cried because I just hadn't thought, like, I thought, what are the chances of finding something like this um, at this point in my life when I had no idea what I wanted to do to have such a perfect fit? Um, and it's especially because when I was in, talking with this guy, uh, Richard Ramsey, he was like, oh, you can go into data analytics. You could go that path and I can introduce you to people at Disney or you can try this future thing and, and see what happens there. And so it was really like crossroads in my life where I just decided ah, I could get into data analytics anywhere. So why not see what this future thing is about? And I've never been so grateful. Uh, I, I think when we ended that, our like training together, he said, uh, I'm finding out about this when I'm 63. You're not even 20 yet. So uh, imagine what you could do with, with this information. And so ever since then, I had tried my best to uh, become a futurist full time. And I had everything I'd done in my career from that point until now has been in service of that. And I think what uh, I'd went through like a training with a bunch of global leaders. There was like people planning the future of Korea. There's head of strategy that like EY and stuff there. And, and, and for me, it said students, Cal State University Fullerton. So the, the fit wasn't, it was like, what, what am I doing here? And um but the question I had walked away with that training with was, how do I actually implement this stuff? I understand that foresight is important. I understand the impact it can have on our entire world, but how do I actually do it? And I thought about training. I thought about learning. There's a lot of free resources, but it just seemed like it was an ocean of information. And how do I make sense of all that? So I thought that a, uh, a master's program made the most sense because I'm learning from world-class futurists who then organize all the information, at least what they think is best practices and in what order I should learn that in. And as well as like the people that I meet along the way would make that journey a lot more colorful. So um, yeah, I was like, you know what? I have just, I'm laid off from my job. I have no money, but I'm going to do this and see what happens. So, And you uh, moved and to I Texas. I, I still haven't. I really should. I am oh. completely online my whole life. I work in Texas. <laughs> I still go to school in Texas and I, I live in California. So I'm like trying, I'm practicing to be a digital nomad. <laughs> wow. I didn't even realize that. I guess I knew that at some point when we were talking back in January, but I had forgotten that your whole life is remote right now. <laughs> wow. That's so cool. There's so many questions running through my head right now, as you were telling the story of finding this niche, the first thing that popped into my head, because I'm, I'm just finding my niche in my fifties. Like it was my late forties when I started really doing what I'm doing now and finding it so rewarding and, and finding something that I feel like I'm really good at in a, in a distinctive way. And I don't I couldn't give somebody your age or younger guidance in terms of finding that earlier 
but you could because you did. So was it going to college for a four-year degree? Was it being open to, was it the way you were raised being open to finding something like this? What, what do you think, what do you think you could tell people that are younger, like in their late teens, twenties, maybe even thirties that might help them, I don't know, point themselves in the right direction? Hmm. I think a few things that come to mind that I couldn't have, I couldn't be where I'm at today without, I think, the first thing that comes to mind is my upbringing. So my mom raised me uh, always saying, just focus on being happy. It's not about the money, just be happy. And that's all I want for you. I'm proud of you if you're happy. And you know, you can get into a bunch of psychology stuff on that, but I just focus on fulfillment. So that was the first thing I did is for me, a career is all about fulfillment and how do I like, how do I be fulfillment? throughout this journey uh, and work in a place that doesn't suck up my soul or, or it keeps me alive and enjoying the journey. Uh, so yeah, just know what's important to you. I guess that, that was the first thing. Um, and I think from there, it was really fulfillment for me comes from service. And, um, and so like, what's the best way to help others rather than thinking about like what my needs are and, and kind of using my needs as a bridge between like, how do I help others? What do I need? What do I need right. to do that? Right. And, um, and I, I think that that like gets around a lot of um, kind of like thoughts that people have around, Oh, I want to do this job, but does it pay well enough? And I never really, I, th I think most of my friends that come to me, like, or like we talk about that issue. I always, I always say, they're like, Oh, the average, average, uh, there's one of my friends wants to be a journalist. And he's like, oh, well, the average salary is like 60K a year. I need more money than that. So I'm going to be a sportscaster. And I was like, I think you're a really great journalist, though. Like, I, you have, you're like one of the right. super smart, like you could do whatever you want. Do you really think you're the average? Like if the average journalist makes 60K, do you think you're average? No, dude, you're at least like top 10, top 5% in the world. So, you, you know, like I would operate with the assumption that you're going to be that. And um, oh. And so that's kind of how I think about like I sorry remove bar like your sal my salary as a as a barrier to where I want to go. That makes so much sense. You did say at the beginning that you thought about going into accounting because it was a solid career choice, mm -hmm. uh, and it sounds like you had the that aha moment having had that upbringing that that wasn't all there was to it that you had to choose something not based on this seems like a good career choice. Yeah, a hundred percent. It was, uh, and it, it really didn't really, it didn't click until I found foresight, like even data analytics. I was like, Oh, I could do this, but technical coding stuff doesn't really align with what I, what makes me feel alive. And so I, I was just really overjoyed to find something that, uh, accomplishes something similar with like helping people make better decisions or different decisions, uh, but doing that through story and, and qualitative uh, data. So, um, yeah. Well, that makes sense. So we met when you were giving that presentation at the Servant Leadership Conference for Strategic Government Resources, SGR. And um, I met Ron Hollyfield, oh gosh, in 2018, I think. And we've been friends and connected since then. And when he invited me to come speak for that event, I I just jumped at the chance because I wanted to meet him face to face after five years of knowing him. And 
your presentation was about the future of our community, our global community, um, from the perspective of where we are now in terms of being so polarized and the impact of that on our small communities, local governments, and our agencies. And what struck me was that it's at that small community level that we actually have potential to change things, to improve things. We can't start at the the high level national, much less global politics. So when you started putting together that presentation, what was going through your head and, and what was your goal for the audience to observe and absorb through your presentation? Love that question. Yeah, it was really, I, I think we had, this was kind of the second presentation we had done on, on polarization and how it can affect our community in, in uh, America. And the first one that we did at the end of it, uh, we did a, a word cloud. And the word cloud it was, how do you feel after this presentation? And, and there were I didn't see a single positive word. It was anxiety, hopeless, worried, afraid, in danger. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it's, and I think a big part of that was because it was a lot, the presentation was focused on like the facts and information. And um, I, I think one of the, the quotes, ooh, one of the, has a giant bug landed on me. Uh, and one of the quotes that- um, <laughs> well, For our listeners, Hazel is actually <laughs> sitting outside of a coffee shop right now because- his bandwidth was too bad at his apartment. So for our listeners, when you hear a little noise and a big bug landing on his leg, that's why. All right, keep going. Yeah. Um, and I, I think one of the, the things that we like, the, the reason why I'm so uh, attracted to foresight and what I want people to like walk away with when they go through a foresight presentation is the idea of agency and having expanded choice and um and you need creativity to have that so like one of the quotes that i found recently was like uh despair is a, a, a despair is like a sign oh despair is a failure of the imagination and and i have really that resonated with me when i created this presentation because we need to be able to imagine um alternative outcomes and futures that can happen um, even when everything looks dark, even when everything looks bleak. And so it's really finding this balance of communicating the facts uh, of what's happening with polarization and what like the drivers, like the technological drivers of change, the demographic drivers of change, but still creating pathways uh, towards hope and towards action that change the way that the audience thinks about and relates to the world. Uh, so, that was really like what I hoped for. And, that, and that's what was kind of the guiding principle behind that presentation. That each of us has agency in making that change. Yeah, I, I keep coming back to the story that was told the next day at the, at the um, conference by the, um, he was a school principal, is that right? And she is his wife and they were in a small community and um, something happened, and I can't remember exactly what the drama was, but it was awful. And there was a um, there was a group of students outside of their home protesting. And she 
didn't know what to do. I think she worked for a church or something, or she was a pastor and she didn't know what to do because she had just, she was recovering from a surgery. So she was in her bathrobe and the police showed up and they came into her house so that they could, you know, care for the people that were inside the house while they were trying to manage the protesting without cutting anything off, but still managing it so that it didn't get worse. And her biggest comment was, I'm sure they have a reason for protesting. And um, I'm not sure that uh, she said, if I had it in my head at that moment, if I could have had clarity in my head, because it was this magical hour at dusk when all the mosquitoes come out in that area, she said, if I had had my wits together, I would have gone out there with a basket full of bug spray. I would have brought out bottles of water for them, even though they're protesting at my home, because I know there's something valid about what they're protesting, even if they're in the wrong place, even if they're protesting against a wrong person, their protests are valid. And to me, that's one person sharing that vulnerability of agency, right? If I had had the clarity of mind, if I was dressed and wasn't recovering from surgery. So that's, that's what your session brought to me. And I can't even imagine hearing those words coming out after one of my sessions, after your first session of hopeless, despair, powerless, helpless, like, holy shit, to have that be the result of your presentation has to have been heartbreaking. So how did, when you saw that, what was your first reaction? And then um, how did you get your head wrapped around changing it? For the next presentation. And just so our listeners understand, you are um, using both words futurist and foresight interchangeably. Is that correct? Yes. So a uh, foresight is a discipline. It's an interdisciplinary field. And then practitioners, uh, some practitioners within this field call themselves futurists. Okay, great. Thank you for that distinction and clarification. Yeah. So, uh, can you remember the question again? You was, heard, well, how was I? How were you affected? I know that I know because I know you. Even even a short period of time, I know that sensitivity, the the empathetic and sensitive turn that you have. That that's who you are. Um, so I can kind of tell. I can imagine how how that affected you. But I'd like to hear it in your words. How did it affect you to see those words? And what was the next thing you did? to specifically address that in the next time you gave the presentation? Yeah, it, it really felt, um, I felt a sense of responsibility uh, for having them feel that way. It, it definitely, like this is, I, I think with, with foresight, when that's, foresight without hope really just adds stress <laughs> and it adds anxiety because you're, you're expanding what people knew was possible with things that are happening today. And um, if you only just add the threats and the things that could go horribly wrong in their life, then you're actively making their life worse <laughs> and there's still nothing they can do about it. And, and then that's really not in the spirit of, of what like the goal is at least for, for foresight for me in my definition. And um, 
And so, yeah, just a huge sense of responsibility and a commitment, like almost like a, like I made a commitment that, okay, we need to do this again <laughs> and we need to change it. And so when it came to the Serving Leadership Conference, I had choices on what the topic was going to be. And I, I decided polarization was the time because servant leaders, and especially in a time nowadays, like, like of this now where we are the most polarized than we've ever been, uh, it, it's crucial that people hear and hear and feel hope in, in situations where they're faced with, uh, oftentimes it feels hopeless. It does feel hopeless. It's, it's super valid to feel that. And so I, the hope was that by using foresight to create hope that they can start thinking about other aspects of the future within their entire lives. Like, oh, if I can use the future foresight to think about the future of polarization, I can do it with my personal life and I can do it with any other setting. So, um, right. yeah, so the action was really a commitment to doing it again and a commitment to uh, emphasizing hope. I love that. And what I understood from your presentation was that here are the predictions if everything remains the same, if we all remain on the same path, here are the predictions and they are dire. They are. And then the next part was, here are some of the small actions that we can each take so that we change what the future is going to look like. Those predictions were based on us not doing anything about it. And now we have these, the, these people a few hundred, there were three or 400 people in the audience, plus however many were streaming, live streaming the whole event. And if even 10% of the people in that room choose to own that agency and change just within their communities, within their micro communities within the community, so that's their family, that's the people they work with. It's telling the stories of the people they work with in positive ways so that they feel better and they bring that back home to their families and their micro communities. That's what I got out of it. That's awesome. That's, that makes me really happy to hear and why I love uh, being with SGR so much is because I think my personal focus is really around community leaders because of the number, like the lives that they can touch and whether that be the family, whether that be their coworkers, whether that be the community that they serve. It's, I, I think that's really like the, like the group that I um, feel fulfilled with serving and, and making an impact on. So uh, I feel, I, I appreciate that uh, your, your feedback. So you finished the second one. If we had done a word cloud, it would have been very different that time. I'm sure of it. You would still have some of the sad, the hopeless, the the fear, anxiety. I also think that you would have hope or hopeful as part of that word cloud this time. You would see a smattering of words that were positive because there were people in the room that really wanted to see that positive side to it. They They were eager for it. They were hungry for it. What was your indication that it went differently afterwards since you didn't do the word cloud? I, at least I don't remember seeing the word cloud at the end. I think so. Two things was like verbal, verbal, which is always tough because, you know, people just want to give a positive impression. And then so verbally, I, I think I heard a lot more positive feedback. Uh, maybe it's because I was the one who's giving this presentation and it was someone else giving the presentation the first time around, uh, but a lot of positive feedback. But I, the, the second more like concrete written feedback was around the people's relationship with AI and technology. Uh, I think there was a lot of fear and misunderstanding around AI and technology, 
for example, we mentioned the, the use of generative AI and deep fakes and how, yes, they can, and how it's dual use, right? So, yes, we can use it. Uh, it it's like, oh, we can't tell what's real now. Like, we, we won't be able to tell the difference, but we can also use that to educate and empower the community and create and like change constraints in ways that we can actually provide a counteracting force for that, if not a transformative one. And um, that was a very common theme in over like half of the feedback that we received uh, through the forum was people are now more open to uh, technology and AI and how they want to use it. So I, I think that was one of the, like, it was very action oriented, right? That inherently in that feedback, like, oh, now I see this differently and that can spill over into their, uh, their choices on how they spend their time or invest their resources. Exactly. And for our listeners, the Servant Leadership Conference in Fort Worth, Texas, hosted by SGR, Strategic Government Resources. I'm going to slow that down again. <laughs> it was the Servant Leadership Conference in Fort Worth, Texas in late January 2023, hosted by Strategic Government Resources. And most of what this organization does is leadership development and recruitment within local government agencies. So that is the city of Dallas, the city of Fort Worth, all the way to the little tiny cities of Tyler, Texas, and Outside of Texas, I met people from Ohio and Indiana and California. And um, these are the people that are working in your local government agencies. That means they're public works directors. They are water treatment plant operators. They are um, streets division and streets maintenance division people. And the HR offices within the cities and counties of these, of, of these states and these are the people that are providing direct services to our communities. And I think it's really important for our listeners to understand that distinction between your local government, the county government, which is usually outside of the city government, and then you have the state government and federal government. And when you antagonize your local government, you're antagonizing your neighbors. When you are finding fault with everything they do, you're finding fault with your neighbors. And these are people generally, in my experience, with lots of local government that I have worked in over the years, is that these are the people that care very deeply about your community. Like, for instance, the snowplow drivers. They aren't intentionally leaving a berm next to your car. They're trying to get around your car without slipping and hitting it with their, with their plow. And they're out there at three or four in the morning trying to clear the road so you can get your kids to school. And these are the people that are getting hammered with um, hostility online and even in person at public meetings. And there's just this lack of transparency that city governments need to improve. That's all there is to it. As long as we're not talking to people from the city side, to the community and sharing what we know, being transparent, this is going to continue as residents just don't know unless we tell them. So that was part of why I was so eager to speak to that group about storytelling and how leadership storytelling can improve your relationships internally, which then make your employees better ambassadors for your local government agency. So at the end of the conference, you're doing 
everybody's slapping your back and shaking your hand and saying, Housen, that was amazing. I know I was one of them. The 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 new Housen fan club was in Montana. That was me. What did that um inspire you to do immediately following the the session and the conference itself? What's what's the next part of your story? In, I guess it's it definitely it was one of the first times I had given uh, a presentation in front of kind of the larger group of my of my personal team uh, of of like kind of like uh, like Mike and like kind of the the presidents of all the business lines and and so that created a sense of confidence uh, in me to keep on doing the work and so the direction that's evolved in is. Uh, being more interactive with the audience. So rather than like one to everyone, <laughs> uh, instead of just me talking to p- at people for an hour, it's we've started doing workshops. And so we just did our first workshop last week for the city of Olathe and in trying to help them imagine the future of their workforce uh, more of like collaboratively. So like shifting my role uh, towards one that like just creates a safe container and holds space for collaboration and creativity in a world where that it's not really incentivized to hold space for. And, um, and I, I find it fascinating. It really is like magic. I, I want to find a more empowering metaphor for that. But um, yeah, it's be- because a lot of foresight processes are kind of like a you. And so you start at one point at the U at the very top and you cannot see the other side of the U until you go all the way through it. And so that you cannot predict how it's going to go. You can't predict the impact it's going to have on the audience, but you still need to have the confidence to own the space, even when it's you know, the potential for failure is like pretty high <laughs> because there are a lot of things that you can't control. And so I think the impact of that uh, presentation there was having the trust of my team and, and trust that the audience is, is ready for these kinds of conversations and that they want to have them. Mm. That's awesome. That's perfect. It's such rewarding work when you see it in action. As you said, when you first kind of discovered foresight and the work of futurists, not knowing how to apply it, like, I, I get it. This is really cool. I, I like the ideas behind it, but what's the action here? What do we do with this knowledge? And that's exactly what you're doing in your current job is you're you're taking a practical application to this idea of predicting what the future could look like and putting plans in place to make sure we're prepared for that or to put plans in place to shift that potential future so that our predictions aren't quite so dire in the next few years. I love the work you're doing, Housen, and I'm so grateful that you found this at such a young age and that as a community, we have a few decades more of your energy and knowledge to be able to help guide us. Uh, yeah, I. It's there's a lot of people who talk about like at least in my age of like the twenties, like oh we're getting old, we need to start doing things, and it, it's just a very interesting narrative because it's. I, in my mind, I still got a lot of time <laughs> to uh, a lot of a lot of work to be done, but a lot of time, and it's going to be an exciting pathway. So, um, and I'm grateful to have met you. Uh, and SGR, but you, because you were definitely like our interactions and the conversations we had were some of the most meaningful I've had. Um, I think out of all the conferences I've been to through S- at SGR. And so 
yeah, definitely like a positive like guiding force in, in that direction. And it puts me at peace to know that you exist, people like you exist, <laughs> and we can do this work together. So thank you, we can. And I hope we do. I could definitely see some collaboration in our future. For sure. Hazen, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me today. And I know our listeners are going to want to know a little bit more about you. Um, how do they reach you? How do they follow you? What are, where are you out in the world? Um, you can, I'm on LinkedIn. That is my go-to app to kind of find information uh, on different fields. So you can look me up, H-A-U-S-O-N, last name L-E on LinkedIn, uh, if that works for you. Or you can email me, first name, last name at gmail.com. And uh, be happy to talk or answer any questions or even see what you're going through. I got you. I'm I'm here to I'm here to serve. So yeah, I like how change can be at individual level or like a ton. So it really doesn't matter as long as it's making a difference. Well, I think it has to change at the individual level first, <laughs> and then you can have a bigger impact. Yes, Hausen, thank you again. It was such a pleasure. And for our listeners, all of those links to Housen's LinkedIn and his email address will be in the show notes associated with this podcast at elkinsconsulting.com. And thank you listeners for joining us today on the Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will podcast. And now it's your turn. What are your predictions for the future now? Are they positive? Is there something you need to change so that they become positive? And what are the two steps you can take tomorrow to change it so that your prediction shifts? Thanks again for listening. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile.